You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Thursday slash Friday edition of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111 here in Acadiana. Watch our simulcast on Stadium 32.3, Channel 133 on OUS Fiber, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. LSU bringing in even more baseball postseason accolades we'll get to that game one of the nba finals tonight between the denver nuggets and the miami heat we'll break that down as well and regionals talk as well as the women's college world series getting underway in oklahoma city we'll talk about all of that throughout today's show once again the game hotline 337-706-0111 bringing my producer and co-host now mr james mesh james Happy Thursday slash Friday slash final show of the week. How are you, sir? Sodded. Sodded. I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So let's start with LSU. Uh, Collegiate Baseball, one of the top publications in the sport, unveiled their All-American teams today as well as their National Player of the Year. LSU placed three players on the first team. And you can probably guess the three players. Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, and Tommy White. All three of them are named first-team All-Americans by Collegiate Baseball. Paul Skeens was also named Collegiate Baseball's National Player of the Year. Now, we, we, we joke a lot that I'm a stats guy, but... To reiterate, we've talked all year long about how good Paul Skeens is. But headed into the regional, these are his numbers. He leads the nation in strikeouts with 167. He leads the the country in strikeouts per nine innings. What that means is if he would pitch a complete game every time he's on the mound, he would average 16.64 strikeouts per game. He also leads the country in whip with .79. He is third in the nation in the strikeout-to-walk ratio, fourth in ERA, and sixth in hits allowed per nine innings. He would average only five hits per game if he pitched a complete game every single time. He has a 1.89 ERA. He has 10 wins on the season, and he's in his one year at LSU, he is number two on the all-time single-season strikeouts list behind Ben McDonald, who had 202 strikeouts. In 1989, uh, Dylan Cruz, obviously we, we know what he's done this year. SEC Player of the Year, second in on base percentage, second in runs scored, seventh nationally in batting average. He leads the league in on base percentage, run scores, and walked. And he has reached base in the last 62 games, dating back to the final four games of the 2022 season. And then there's Tommy White. Tommy White has 91 RBIs headed into the regional. That leads the SEC. 
He also is number three in doubles, number three in total bases, number three in average, fourth in slugging percentage, fifth in hits, eighth in homers, and his RBI number is third in the country in total RBI. The fact that he has 91 RBI on the season, and there are two players that have more, is kind of disturbing. But I digress. McNeese also put a player on the Collegiate Baseball All-American team. Grant Rogers was named a second-team All-American. He is only the third McNeese Cowboy to be named an All-American by Collegiate Baseball. And he is the first since 2001. Kevin Mitchell was named to the third team in 2001. Ben Broussard was named to the third team back in 1999. He is the highest selection by Collegiate Baseball ever for McNeese. He went 12-1 on the season with a 1.82 ERA. He set a new single-season record for wins as a pitcher, and he led the league in ERA third best in the country. He had 88 strikeouts in 103 innings pitched. So congrats to those four. But James, we're getting ready to enter one of the best weekends of the year. I mean, this is the type of weekend where you wish you had the Buffalo Wild Wings set up in your house. Where you just had the four TVs that were together and you could just play a different event on each TV and then, you know, put one on your phone, put one on your laptop. I mean, there, there's going to be 20 games going on at one time. Right, because you would do it for the NCAA regional. You mm-hmm. do it for the NCAA basketball tournament. You, you know, I, I look at some of these regionals and there are some of them that feel incredibly up for grabs. You know, you, you look at some of these matchups. Winston-Salem, look, credit to Northeastern, credit to Maryland. I, I don't think that one's up for grabs. I think Wake Forest goes through that pretty easily. Uh, Gainesville, kind of the same way. I, I think Florida handles that one pretty pretty easily. Tuscaloosa is interesting because Troy is good. Boston College is good. And I'm never going to count out Nichols. Columbia is way up for grabs. Campbell, it feels like Campbell's one in that regional. But then you never count out NC State either. Conway, I think Coastal takes care of business there, wins that regional. The Stanford regional is interesting. Cal State Fullerton is a historic baseball program. They're hanging around in their A&M as well. The Baton Rouge Regional is is not up for grabs, I don't think. Um, I, I think LSU wins that regional. Uh, another one that seems very up for grabs is Stillwater, which we're, we're going to talk with Ben Upton a little later on in the show. This regional feels like a regional that you are going to have a ton of offense in. All of these teams can absolutely hit. Oklahoma State, you remember the regional last year, they averaged like 20 runs a game between the two opponents in each game that was played in the regional. So they have a lot of offense. Dallas Baptist has a lot of offense. Oral Roberts might be a four seed, but they've won 45 games this year. So they're 
they're a better four seed than than you probably think. And then Washington as well. Uh, that's going to be an entertaining regional. And then Auburn as well, the Auburn regional. Southern Miss could easily win that regional. So there's so many unknowns in, in this NCAA tournament. I, I know James wants to look at Coral Gables and the Golden Corral regional. The, the Golden Corral regional. Um, I mean, I mean, <laughs> okay. I, I I have no words, James. You see Coral Gables, and instantly think Golden Corral, and then it helps that half of the teams have an orangish color to them orangish red kind of like the golden corral logo mm-hmm. there's some red in the cajuns it works so it works it works um you've got texas winning that regional yeah i mean it kind of feels like a toss-up all like all the teams are good i i, I main louisiana texas and miami they're all good teams louisiana has a nice shot matt deggs had said Jackson Nezu is going to be mm-hmm. starting for the first game tomorrow. But the issue with that is he's starting against Lucas Gordon. Right. Who is Texas's ace. He is only a sophomore. And he has had, or he's only a junior, excuse me. And he's had a monster season. A 2.55 ERA, 6-1 and one on the season. He's thrown 88 innings, has 90 strikeouts. And he's only given up eight home runs. Batters are hitting 219 against him. So, very tall order for Louisiana. Because, look, I don't think you can win this regional if you lose game one. You have to beat Texas. Right. It puts you behind the eight ball. If you want to win this regional. Because if you lose to Texas, you'll probably then have to play Maine. And, I mean... It's not like Maine's an impossible matchup. No, you would you would probably be the favorite in that matchup. But you should be able to win. But then at that point, after if you lose to Texas in game one, you're going to have to scratch and claw, which the Cajuns are pretty good at doing. But I don't think they'll be able to scratch and claw enough to be able to beat Texas and Miami. That's my issue. Well, not only that, but whichever one wins that game out of Texas and Miami, you would have to beat them twice. Mm-hmm. And I just don't, I, I don't think you're going to be able to do that no matter which one it is. Um, so I, I think you take yourself out of the conversation if you lose tomorrow afternoon against Texas. Now, if you win that game, all bets are off at that point. Because if you get to a Miami or, hell, it could be Maine uh, matchup, I, I think both teams are beatable. I think if you've beaten Coastal and I think you've if you've beaten Southern Miss, I think you can beat Miami. Um uh, and then if you go into Sunday 2 and 0, I mean, you're playing with house money at that point. Uh it's really hard to lose twice in a day. It's happened before. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. Uh but it it would be incredibly difficult to to fall back to back to the same team in on the same day. So one o'clock tomorrow between Louisiana and Texas to kick off the Coral Gables Regional, Baton Rouge Regional, LSU, and Tulane will play at two o'clock tomorrow. Pre-game set for one thirty, and you can catch it right here on the game. Which means there will be no Jordy Holtberg show tomorrow. 
there will be no crunch time tomorrow, which is why we're doing the Thursday slash Friday show here today. 4.14 on your Thursday. Let's go ahead and take a timeout here at 4.30. Leah Van from The Advocate's going to join us to talk about the Baton Rouge Regional and what she expects out of LSU. And then at 5.30, Ben Upton, the host of the 11.7 podcast, joins us. We'll talk about the NCAA tournament as a whole and what he expects. And you're going to be very surprised to hear his pick for the Coral Gables Regional. All that and much more coming up right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, then the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to help. It's the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, a flat screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 418. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Before we get to the audio from Matt Deggs as he gets set for the Coral Gables Regional, James, there's a headline here that is worded very oddly, and, and I want to get your take on it. Celtics bring back Joe Missoula. Hope Brown returns. Yeah. Part one to that. Okay. Was it ever in question that Joe Missoula was going to return? There were a lot of circulations and people talking about, like, do the Celtics bring him back? Because if that's true, then that's idiotic. It is interesting since, I mean, he kind of had to just go in last minute. And make it up on the fly. Goes in last minute, makes it up on the fly. First time ever being a head coach. By the way, youngest coach in the league. He's younger than Al Horford. And he put you in the Eastern Conference Finals, and after falling behind 3-0, pushed it to a Game 7? Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a lot more in question if the Celtics would have got swept or gentlemen swept. And then that's that's fair. But if he got his team to rally and force it to a Game 7 at 34 years old, that's eight years younger than me, by the way. Do you think I'm ready to be anywhere close to an NBA head coach? No. Me older. Yeah, eight eight years older than me. Sorry. Do do, do you think I'm anywhere close to that? No. Not at all, actually. Um, No, but like I I get why they said bring it back because you didn't know exactly what was going to happen. With Joe Missoula. And, and and then the Hope Brown returns part. Mm-hmm. So I get the question there because you've got two Supermax spots, but do you really want to take up, what is it, 65, 70% of, of your salary if you take both Supermaxes? I get it. If you're the Celtics, though, say, say you're Brad Stevens. 
Mm-hmm. Do you bring Jalen Brown back? Or do you let him walk? It's tough because how many times are you going to be able to have someone of Jalen Brown's caliber be a nice one-two punch? And they've kind of been marinating together. Him and Jason Tatum have been marinating since 2017. So it's like they've already kind of got that chemistry and they've gotten so close so many times. I'd hate to break it up. And that's a fair point. But at the same time, yes, you're yes, it's going to be tough with the cap. You can't sign hardly anybody else. But there's going to be plenty of guys that you can get at reasonable deals. Like there's a couple of guys that already want to leave. Like Peyton Pritchard has made it very much known that he does not want to be in Boston anymore. Not Peyton Pritchard. That's just going to break the franchise. Uh, That's just detrimental. Like you didn't even see Danilo Gallinari last year. No, you didn't. So, bring him back. I liked what Muscala did. If you can bring him back on another cheap deal. Like, there's a lot of cheap contracts you can do with players for value. Derek White. I'm curious to see what Derek White and Brogdon asked for since Brogdon's the sixth man of the year. Now, uh, another interesting contract conversation in the NBA is the Austin Reeves conversation so it is being rumored that the Lakers are going to match an offer for the services of Austin Reeves somewhere in the the Lakers will match all contract offers up to a hundred million dollars now look Austin Reeves had a great year Don't get me wrong. However, would I pay $100 million for a guy who, in his career, has barely averaged 10 points a game? I I don't know. James, do you think that's a fair value for for Austin Reeves? To go from a, having him as a rookie in a rookie contract and to a hundred million? million, that is a extraordinary jump. But I mean, you saw how influential he was for that Lakers team in the playoffs. It's true. But I mean, you've got guys like Rui Hachimura that you've got to re-sign this offseason as well. Who Rui did a lot for you. He did do a lot. So can you really afford to lock away a hundred million dollars to Austin Reeves when you've also got LeBron and AD? Well, I mean, you're probably not going to have LeBron for too much longer. No, you're going to have LeBron for one more year. Yeah, you're going to have him for one more year. You'll you'll still have AD, and you'll have others. But I mean, I don't know about a hundred. I would see about like seventy-five, eighty. See, for me, even that's a little steep. Because, like, if he's a guy... million a year? Because if he's a guy that you can build around and be a guy that could be a key piece to your success, yeah, you're going to want to pay him. I mean, Marcus Smart's getting 20 a year. He's getting 21, 22. The guy's only played in the league two years, though. I know, but if he... 
if he is proven to and you trust him that much, I mean. I guess. I guess. I wouldn't pay him that much. Uh, I mean, I, you, I would, you'd want to try and get him for as low as possible, for sure. I, I would cap it at, like, 50. I wouldn't pay him more than 50 over four years. Um, I, I think that's very fair. $12.5 million a year? I think that's fair. Um, but... You know, there's there's reasons why I'm not a. I was gonna say, I mean, NBA if he's gonna be GM. if he's gonna be a starting role player for you and be like that third fourth option, eleven twelve million doesn't feel like enough, even for as young as he is. Heading over to the Rage and Cajuns now. They are in Miami for the Coral Gables Regional. Yesterday, before they left, head coach Matt Deggs met with the media, and he said that this time of the year is the best time of the year. Yeah, hey, this is the best time of year, George. It's, you know, school's out, it's hot. Uh, you've got something huge that you're playing for, something bigger than yourself that involves not just a team, but a, a university, a community, a region, a state. And uh, we can feel the love behind us, and uh, hopefully that will propel us all the way through this deal. Yesterday we, we talked about, you know, when you look at the story, we, we compared last year's Ole Miss team to this year's Louisiana team and how they were both the three seed in Coral Gables and could Louisiana be this year's Ole Miss? Well, Matt Deggs was asked about it and he said anything's possible once you get to this point. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you always draw from stuff that happens and experience. It's only impossible until somebody does it, right? And that's always been my thing, and I'm not saying that this is impossible. Uh, but when, you know, the computer comes out and gives you a 16% chance, my way of looking at it is... So you're saying there's a chance. And, uh, you know, that's us, man. We've, we love watching The Miracle on Ice. And, you know, we've probably seen that movie ten times in the last two years. And Lone Survivor and all the against-the-odds stories you can think of. That's Rudy. kind of been our thing. Rudy. Uh, <laughs> all of them, you know. Anything's possible if you're willing to go after it. My ducks. So you're saying there's a chance. That's all you need. At this time of the year, all you need is the opportunity. Head coach Matt Deggs was also asked about his game plan versus some really good Texas pitching. You're exactly right, Jamarcus, and that was, that's been a focus the last two days is getting going again offensively. Uh, one thing you know you have to be able to do when it gets hot and in the postseason is score runs and, uh, because everybody's seen a lot of the arms, right, and, and hitters will catch up. And uh, we had to tighten our approach back up. We're going to have to put more balls in play. Uh, you know, scoring 12 runs on 17 punch outs isn't a recipe I'd necessarily subscribe to. And, and we were able to do that. But from here on in, the t- competition just keeps getting better and better and better. We're going to have to swing at good pitches, get on top of the fastball, okay, and not try to do too much. Lastly, Mad Dex talked about how to get to this point, we, we've talked about the Sunbelt Conference Tournament and, and the road that the Cajuns had to go down to get here. This team's battle-tested and has been through a lot. You know, I think the biggest thing, George, was getting a little bit of rest and, and because we we exerted a, a 
huge amount of energy and, and emotion uh, putting ourselves in a position to get in this thing. We were good coming into the season. Uh, I think we got better as the season went. We overcame some injuries, uh, overcame some, some nagging injuries, and then overcame some guys having tough years that got better as we went. And uh, we're able to put it all together at the tournament. I'd love to see us finish that thing, but uh, the powers that be thought enough of us to put us in the tournament. You know, when, when uh, again, you know, you talk about the regionals and, and the matchups and the storylines, the Cajuns being one of the final teams to get in the three seed in Coral Gables, just like it was for Ole Miss last year. Tulane being a, a 19 and 40 team had just gone through the worst season in program history, and, and they're now in a regional. Uh, there's tons of things to keep an eye on. But it's all about those eight spots in Omaha. That's what everybody is playing for. And that doesn't mean that your season's a failure if you don't get there. But the common goal is those eight spots in Omaha. Experience helps a long way with that. The Cajuns have 18 players this year that were on that regional team last year in College Station. And senior first baseman C.J. Willis said that it is good to have a team full of experience when you when it comes to regional time. No, we don't have that one. It disappeared. That's fine. That's fine. Um he he basically talked about how it was strictly a business trip and that there's the experience factor of this is a good thing when you get to the NCAA tournament because you have to know the little nuances of this event. You know, you're, you're playing in a bigger stage. You're playing in, in a stadium that probably holds more people than, than what you're used to. There's not a home field advantage anymore unless you're hosting the regional. So there's a lot of kinks that you really have to work out in a regional to get yourself in the right mindset to play in an environment like this. And, and CJ talked a lot about that and how having guys that have done it before will pay off for them in the long run. 4.30, we'll go ahead and take a time out here. Leah Van of The Advocate will join us next to talk about the Baton Rouge Regional and what to expect out of LSU's ball club right here on the game. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 435, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios. Here in Upper Lafayette, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We've talked all week long about the Baton Rouge Regional upcoming at Alex Box Stadium beginning tomorrow when LSU faces Tulane at 2 o'clock. Pre-game once again at 1.30, and you can hear it right here on the game. Leah Van, LSU baseball beat writer for The Advocate, joins us here on Crunch Time to preview the regional from LSU's side of things. Leah, thanks for taking the time on this Thursday. How are you? I'm doing well. You caught me mid-hair wash at the hairstylist, so I will do my best. But like I said, it's the regional, so let's get to it. And and that's why Leah Van's one of the best in the business. She's dedicated. <laughs> so, you know, when you look at this regional, 
LSU hosting in Baton Rouge with an in-state school like Tulane. I want to kind of start there since that's the matchup tomorrow. You know, these two teams are familiar with one another, having played earlier in the year, LSU winning that game 11-5. to But Tulane probably being the most improbable story of the NCAA tournament getting in at 19 and 40. Just kind of talk about this matchup and what fans can expect uh, out of this in-state matchup. Well, I think when we were originally looking at who might end up in a Baton Rouge regional, I think we all thought that it was going to be Nichols, maybe even ULL. And so I think it was kind of surprising when Tulane made its run and won the conference tournament. And I believe it's the first time they've ever won the American athletic conference tournament. Um, and so this is, you know, every team kind of ebbs and flows and changes throughout the entire season. So right now Tulane is playing its best baseball. But it is kind of funny because obviously it's a team with 40 losses this season that made the tournament just by an automatic bid. So, I mean, obviously, like, you look at it on paper and they're outmatched, um, but you never know when it comes to college baseball. It's about the team that plays the best that day. Um, not just about having the most talent. Um, I think LSU has had a substantial amount of rest given that their journey in the SEC tournament ended last uh, Friday. I think it was Friday. (laughs) The days all run together. Um, So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the Tigers, like, like how the Tigers have recovered. It's going to be interesting to see who they throw on the mound. And, you know, the fight that Tulane does put up. Because if I remember correctly, in that midweek game, it was like a tighter game kind of at first until LSU got to Tulane's bullpen. And that's when, you know, that they really started to shell them up. So Yeah, it was an 8-5 to five game going into the ninth, and then LSU added three more in the ninth uh, to, to really put it away. But, you know, you, you brought up ebbs and flows, and LSU knows that phrase really well this year. The pitching staff has, has been up and down. Paul Skeens has really been your only constant. Uh, and then, you know, you've battled injuries in the lineup with, you know, Gavin Dugas and Cade Beloso and, and most recently Tommy White. And then you, you brought up the week of rest. Where do you think this team is after that week of rest, knowing that guys like Tommy White benefited from it heading into this regional? Well, obviously, um, I saw Tommy White taking batting practice today. He looked totally fine. And, you know, from a you know, outsider standpoint, I don't know what else is, um, you know, potentially going on with his health. But, you know, he looked good in batting practice today is what I can report. Um, but as far as, like, the injuries go, I mean, it's really just the same guys that we know that have been out for the whole season. I did not see Brady Neal taking any DP, but then again, he hasn't played since the beginning of April. So really, like, that's not relevant at this point in time. I think with pitching, I think I'd argue that Ty Floyd is still also a very consistent starter for this team, and I don't think we talk about it enough. Um, And then Thatcher Hurd is really kind of coming into his own at this point in the season. He's really figuring it out. And um, so I think you do, like, if Thatcher continues to throw the way that he did at Georgia, the way that he did in the SEC tournament, and then you have Ty, who gives you a solid outing every single time, um, you know, I think you really do have three solid options for for starting pitchers. Um, the bullpen, I guess, has been the toss-up for consistently the entire season, especially with the injuries to Chase Shores and Garrett Edwards. Um, but like I said, we saw Nate Ackenhausen um, last week at the SEC tournament. I think he worked his longest outing. He hasn't been fully healthy all year, and now he is. And that's a left-handed guy who is really a key piece of this bullpen. And so is Riley Cooper. Riley Cooper, again, is one of the most experienced pitchers on this staff. 
He has pitched in the College World Series before for Arizona, so no moment is too big for him. And We saw him really have a big outing also last week at the SEC tournament, and I can't remember the specific numbers, so please forgive me. Um, but I think that Riley Cooper, Nate Ackenhausen, and then you've got some guys who have emerged late in the season, Javen Coleman and um, Gavin Gidry. Gavin Gidry has really emerged as the closer, and Paul Skeens told us today that Gavin may be 18 years old, but he is a big-time leader for this team and in the clubhouse. And so I think you have all the pieces of a successful bullpen. Um, and given what we saw last week at the SEC tournament, which was kind of the opposite of what we've seen all season, is like LSU's offense is what kind of lacked um, in those in, in those games, and that was against Arkansas and Texas A&M. Well, Arkansas has some of the best pitching in the nation. So, you know, aside from Paul Skies, obviously, but I think that the bullpen is actually in better shape than people think it might be going into a regional in which they're playing teams that are not from the SEC. You know, you, you talked about the, the regional. Oregon State, a perennial power, really good offensive team this year. Sam Houston, solid on offense as well. And then, of course, Tulane. We talked about them playing some of their best baseball headed into Baton Rouge. When you look at this regional, Leah, it's pr- on paper at least, it's probably one of the better ones in the country. What are your expectations from the weekend? I mean, I think every regional kind of has an interesting matchup, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see, you know, if we see LSU take on Oregon State in the second round. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think it'll be really interesting to see, like, the Pac-12 uh, style of baseball versus, you know, SEC. Uh, I've been told that Oregon is more of a small ball team, kind of like Kentucky. Um, but they also have some two very talented players that Jay Johnson does very well and Garrett Forster and um, somebody, I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm not going to say it, but I, I wrote about it. Um, so I think that, I think it's Travis Bazana or something. Uh, Bazana, you yeah, look it up. Yeah, B- Bazana, um, so, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it'll be really exciting. I think it's exciting for the state of Louisiana to have so many teams in the postseason. Um, I think it would have been really fun to have like two of those teams at the box. I think it would have been kind of rowdy. Um, but having Tulane come to town and given like their recent success, I mean, I think that says a lot about the state of Louisiana. Um, I think of that Friday, you know, afternoon game. Um, I think that's really interesting. And um, I think there's some really interesting storylines for that and the history with Skip Burtman. And um, I just remember from the Skip Burtman documentary when like Tulane won the regional he gave them a pep talk and um that must have been I think one of his like last like seasons um so I think there's a lot of like affection for you know this like Mm -hmm. while it is like an opponent I think there's a lot of like special history behind LSU and Tulane playing each other now looking at LSU if you're the opposition you know, you, you see the numbers that Dylan Cruz and Tommy White have put up with guys like Trey Morgan, Jordan Thompson, and Braden Jobert, and then Paul Skeens, SEC Pitcher of the Year, Collegiate Baseball National Pitcher of the Year, First Team All-American. How do you, not, not only from a baseball standpoint, but from a psychological standpoint, how do you prepare to face a team as good as LSU? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we've seen a lot of teams adjust their approach to Paul Skeens, right, in which they'll throw their ace on the second day so that they're not opposing Paul Skeens and then maybe have a chance to take the series. We saw that with Auburn. We saw that with, I mean, shoot, we saw that with Georgia. We saw that with Mississippi State. I think 
um, that's been one thing and one way to approach it um, when you're facing a guy like Paul Skeens and um, you kind of just kind of hope for the best, I guess, or you hope to get to the bullpen early, which is what Arkansas managed to do um, because they had seen Paul Skeens before and, um, you know, maybe it was like the one time that Paul Skeens looked like a human being but was still like very good. Um, and, you know, with Dylan Cruz, a lot of guys have had to try to pitch around him this year, and Dylan knows that, and he's adjusted his approach. He told me, like, he was trying to hit sliders a little bit better this year, but he's also taking more walks, right? And so well, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more teams, like, intentionally walk guys like Dylan Cruz or guys like Tommy White um, if they think they can get to the next guy in the lineup. Um, when it comes to, you know, hitting against Paul Skeens, I mean, it's kind of a toss-up. I mean, I think – Oregon State, I think some of their players got interviewed the other day, and they were fully like, yeah, we definitely anticipate that we're going to face Paul Skeens on Saturday. Now, the official starting rotation hasn't been announced. Oregon State still has to beat Sam Houston, which is one of the best offensive teams in the country. But um, I think a lot of teams know what they're getting into with Paul Skeens. Like, oh, we may not win this game, so we're just going to kind of hope for the best and win the next one. Leah Van of The Advocate joining us here on Crunch Time. For LSU to move on and host a Super Regional next weekend at Alex Box Stadium, what do you, what do you think are, are the keys for them to get past these three teams and move on? Yeah, I think that, you know, well, they need to cash in their runners on base. So, you know, they need to come the, – the, the guys that are coming to the plate with runners on need to – Hit with compete with two strikes and compete with less than two outs, which is something that LSU has done really well for like the majority of the Jay Johnson era so far, and they just did not do that well last week against um, in the Southeastern Conference tournament. Tournament, um, I think as far as pitching goes, they've got to stay consistent, and you know the bullpen needs to stay consistent. So, you know, uh, a good outing from Ty Floyd, a good outing from Thatcher Hurd, and a good outing from Paul Skeens is like you know, five or more innings for Paul Skeets, like six or more. But um, I would say, you know, try to conserve the bullpen as much as possible because it is a regional if you do drop a game. Like, you know, we saw what happened last year with using Mikhail Hilliard on a Friday and then using him again on a Monday on short rest. It's just it's really tough on pitchers. Um, so I think conserving the bullpen and timely hitting is going to be key and, you know, also making sure those bullpen pitchers are consistent. Um, Riley Cooper and and Nate Ackenhausen and all those guys need to continue to perform, and I think they will. And lastly, Leah, if you had to pinpoint one X factor for the Tigers this weekend, who is it? Um, I mean, gosh, that's a lot of pressure. Um, I think Hayden Travinsky. I just have to say it. Um, <laughs> I think he's the guy that, you know, we all knew he could hit home runs based on last year, right? I mean, we knew he had tremendous power, um, but he's kind of come, you know, like stepped up to the plate, uh, I guess, figuratively and literally at the end of this season as kind of the guy. He's homered in, like, majority of the games that he's actually played in. Um, and, you know, he's also a key leader on this team. The guys rally around him. So I feel like he ignites, like, a special energy in this LSU team. And so – I think you need a guy like that, a guy that everybody's rooting for and a guy who's also very talented. And I think Hayden Travinsky is your X factor and he's going to step up at the right time. Leah Van from The Advocate joining us here on Crunch Time, previewing the Baton Rouge Regional LSU and Tulane. Two o'clock tomorrow from the box. Leah, 
appreciate your time as always. Get back to your hair appointment and uh, in, enjoy the weekend at the box. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much. And there she goes, Leah Van of The Advocate. We'll take a time out, wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The defending World Series champs are starting to warm up and you can see them live in person. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Cincinnati Reds on Saturday, June 17th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning. La Meridian, Houston, downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at a goner. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're wrapping up our number one here from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. The hotline... 337-706-0111 if you got any questions or if you want to talk about something else. But, I mean, the poll question of the day. Who do you think is going to win in the NBA Finals and how do you think it's going to happen? Do you think it's going to be the Denver Nuggets in six or less? you think it's going to be Miami in six or less? Do you think Denver in seven or the Heat in seven? Right now, a vast majority of the people are leaning towards Denver. In six or less at 70, 71%. 12 and a half goes to Denver in seven. 10% goes to Miami in six or less. And then the final 6% goes to Miami in seven. We'll talk about more about that later. But looking at the Houston Astros. Oof. Dropped two out of three to the Minnesota Twins, including last night's eight to two losses. The first series loss since losing to the Brewers last Rough. week. But before that. It had been a while. Last time they lost a series was the Seattle Mariners of that beginning of that long road trip. Rough. And it's not that you lost a series. It's the way you lost it. A rookie pitcher walked into Minute Maid Park and threw seven scoreless innings. I mean, credit to Minnesota. What a what a fantastic performance from Louis Varland. And then he had offense to back him up. I mean, Solano with four RBIs on the night, a uh, two-run single in the third, a two-run double in the sixth. And you got offense from Jake and Janier in, in the eighth. I was going to say, the, the only two runs that the Astros scored were in the eighth inning. Both and solo before homers. That, right, solo homers. And then before that, they were down by eight. And so now you have given up you just played the twins for the final time this year in six games they won the season series four to two you've lost four of six games to the minnesota twins now they're leading their division right now so i'm not going to say that they're a bad team but here's here's what's crazy 
We're going to look at Hunter Brown's stat line from last night. And you're going to want to say that he didn't play well. Well, Matt, he gave up five runs. Yeah, well, he also had eight strikeouts and only walked two people. So, yeah, I mean, he gave up a lot of runs, sure. But at the same time, he was also very efficient at the plate. And he looked like a rookie. He looked like a rookie pitcher. And that's okay. The guy is now 5-2 and two on the year. So, am I worried about the Astros? No. No, I'm not. Uh, I think they're going to be fine. 32-23. and 23. They're three games behind the Texas Rangers for the division lead. They are, they are home beginning tonight with the LA Angels in a four-game set Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Reed Detmers going for the Angels. Ronel Blanco going for the Houston Astros. And then tomorrow night. Tomorrow night will be the matchup that people pay to see. Framber Valdez against Shohei Otani. Now, James, over under nine and a half strikeouts slash RBIs for Shohei Otani tomorrow night. Combine the two statistics. Is it over or under nine and a half? I would be more than happy to take the over for fantasy's sake. Yeah, right. Right. I bet you would be. Um, I hope the Astros just plaster them for like nine runs in the first inning. Just get them out of there. Make him make him hit for the rest of the game and panic because he needs to do something to, to put the little MVPs back in contention, and he won't be able to. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, and then Christian Javier going to go Saturday for the Astros, and then J.P. France going on Sunday, 7-10 tonight, 6-40 pregame. You can hear it right here on the game, 7-10 tomorrow night as well, 3-10 on Saturday, and then 1-10 on Sunday. Hour number one is in the books. Hour number two, we're going to hear from Dennis Allen with an OTAs update. We'll give our insight on the NBA Finals and a conversation about the college baseball regionals with our guy Ben Upton right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We're back right after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. In hour number one, we chatted with Leah Van about LSU baseball. Plus, we talked some Cajuns baseball as well, and of course, the Houston Astros. Here in hour number two, we're going to get to some football, we're going to get to some basketball, and then we'll round it out with even more baseball. But before we get there, some breaking news from the SEC. Texas and Oklahoma plan to join the SEC in 2024, and when that happens, the SEC will remain at playing eight conference games. 
They will not go to nine. But James, here's the caveat. You have to play, you're going to play eight conference games, but one of your non-conference games has to be a team from the ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, or a major independent. So you can't play a cupcake. I'm okay with that. It's not the worst. If you want to keep it an eight-game conference schedule, but you throw in the rule that your opponent basically has to be a Power 5 team, I'm okay with that. Like, we're not playing Toledo. No. You can't can't play Toledo. You cannot schedule Toledo. I mean, I guess you could in one of the other three, but that ninth game cannot be Toledo. No. Um, It cannot be Miami of Ohio. It can't be Idaho. You know, so on and so forth. I I think that's going to be a, a nice transition into the changes in the SEC becoming a 16-team league. Now, I think that they will get to the point where you will play nine, maybe even ten conference games. But for for now, when, when Texas and OU are getting acclimated to the SEC, I think that that's a fair you know, workaround to, to play a ninth game against a Power 5 opponent rather than somebody else in the SEC. I kind of like the idea of nine. Two of them have to be that fourth game caveat where you have to play the ACC or the Big Ten or and so the you Big only, 12. You can only have one cupcake? Only one cupcake. Huh. That way you get your start up. That way you, you still have a little bit of that cake and you can still eat it. But then you still have to play other guys and other teams. If that was the case, you know what they would do? You know what they would do? LSU would probably schedule, you know, Florida State every what, year. Whatever cupcake they wanted. And then for their two, you know, power fives, they would schedule like Kansas and Northwestern. Power five schools, but that are really bad at football. And oh man. Like there would there would be so many workarounds to that rule. Like, oh man, the Big Twelve would say, let's play Vanderbilt. That's fine. UCF's going to be a big. Tw- UCF's going to be a Power Five school next year. Maybe they can just schedule the Knights. Actually, that might actually be a pretty competitive game. I don't know if they'd want to do that. But anyways, Dennis Allen met with the media yesterday to talk about OTAs as well as Demario Davis and Alante Taylor. Dennis Allen was asked, you know, looking at your quarterback situation, how has Jameis Winston? Help Derek Carr. Yeah, look, I mean, I sit in there with the meetings with with the quarterbacks at times, and and uh, you know, just his experience in the offense and being able to see it. There's there's some some nuggets that he can provide that, uh, you know, I think help Derek, but also help Jake. And so I think having it's one of the reasons why we felt like it was important to have James back here is that uh, number one, we, we feel like he's a guy that can go in and play when called upon. Uh, but yet he's 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 extremely smart and um, and understands the offense and, and I think that uh, that experience can can uh, be beneficial to all those guys in that room. And that's kind of why I don't necessarily think the Saints would trade Jameis Winston because of how much he knows the offense and say Derek Carr unfortunately gets injured. Mm-hmm. 
unless you're absolutely like, wow, this Jake Hayner, Mr. Zoolander. Jake Hayner might be that dude. Like, unless he, like, becomes a guru in the offense, you probably want to just keep Jameis Winston, even if how it is in Vegas with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, even though they could be like, hey, we could really use a quarterback, unless the Saints absolutely get an absolute really nice value deal out of it, or J- and or Jake Hayner becomes someone that you can really rely on to be the number two, you're probably just going to hold on to him since he's known the offense for so many years now. And, and that's fair. Um, you know, I think it's important to have a guy like that that knows the system, doesn't necessarily play, but can, can help the new guys out like a Deuce McAllister in 2009 when, when the Saints made the Super Bowl run. Deuce didn't get on the field, but they kept him on contract to just kind of guide the young guys along, you know, the the Mike Bells and the Reggie Bushes through that season. And I think that that was very valuable in the Saints Super Bowl run. So I could see them doing something very similar with Jameis Winston. Uh, Dennis Allen was also asked, what are some of the areas of improvement that you've been looking out for? Yeah, look, I think, well, look, I think the ball was on the ground more today than, than uh, it had been in the previous three practices. So it was more, it, it had zero to do with effort. I think our guys are out here working hard. I just don't feel like the execution was quite where it needed to be. And, um, you know, we'll, look, we're in a race to improve versus 31 other teams. And, and so, you know, you don't want to see any of these opportunities slide by. So. We'll have an opportunity to watch the tape, make the corrections, and and uh, I know our guys will respond tomorrow. There's so much dedication going on in the background. I mean, you just hear the sledge just going. It happens so often. I, I love <laughs> I love the work that the Saints continue to put in, even after coaches called practice. It's it's absolutely just incredible um, to to hear sleds banging around in the background when you're trying to understand what coach is saying. Another rookie that has stood out to head coach Dennis Allen is the safety out of Minnesota, Jordan Howden, who a lot of people have compared to Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Here's DA on Jordan Howden. Yeah, I think um, uh, I like his intelligence. I like his athletic ability. Um, seems to have a nose for the football. Um, you know, he's he's kind of what we thought we were getting when we drafted him. And so, um, yeah, I think I think intelligence and, and, and instincts around the ball are, are two qualities that, that stand out to me. Elante Taylor met with the media as well, and he was asked, and this one's interesting, it's very rare to see a defensive back go from 27 to 1. So he was asked why the number change. So, um, obviously, I've always wanted a single digit in high school, had single digit, college had a single digit. Coming to the league, I didn't really care. Uh, I knew I didn't have too much say-so into that. Um, but when 27 was open, I felt like that was the best two-digit number. Um, but whenever uh, one got open, I was like, okay, one's open, and they opened up zero. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get zero, and nobody's had it, kind of build my own legacy. Um, 27 kind of has, has his legacy already written to it. Um, and so 
I didn't get zero, I ended up just going to one. Um, and one's a little bit deeper for me. Uh, one reason is the reason that I do everything for my grandma. She passed in 09. Um, so she's like the reason I do everything. And me and my cousin always say one reason. So it's not as deeper than just a swagger and, uh, you know, kind of looking good out there. But yeah, I just wanted a single digit. James, do you think that there's some single digit mojo to, to Elante Taylor and he's just going to be even more of a baller than he was as a rookie? Yeah, I kind of got that vibe from him. He really stood out to me when I had first seen his, like, hey, what's up, Saints Nation? I'm glad I got drafted by the black and gold. Like, I could feel that yeah, energy you, from him. and You loved that guy from the jump. Oh, I loved it from the jump. And then even seeing him in training camp and even him progressively getting more and more snaps taken away from Paulson Adebo. And whenever you would see him, I remember even the big hit that I think he had laid on – I don't think it was George Pickens, but it was one of the Steelers players. Yep. And I was like, "Ooh, okay, okay, I see you laying down the wood." So it's like he brings that he brings that type of swagger, brings that kind of energy that you were saying like the Saints were missing last year when they had moved on from CJ Gardner Johnson. Is like, look, he kind of already brought that type of swagger, and then him wearing the number one, wearing a single digit. When you're wearing a single digit as a defensive player, or even as a player in general not named a quarterback or special teamer, there's something about you that stands out. I'm just so worried about Ugo Amadi. Like, when we're talking about single digits, now you can wear zero. Mm-hmm. He's going to wear zero for the Saints. Like, dude, that comes with a ton of expectation. Like, you have to be the guy if you're... He's the special teamer. Right. Like, if you're... If you're strong enough in your confidence level to wear zero, you got to bring it. Because, like, one guy that I can think of right now in sports that wears zero and wears zero very proudly Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. Jason Tatum. Like, you've got, you've got to be one of those dudes. And I just, I, I kind of question if Ugo Amadi can be that guy. But we'll see what happens. Uh, lastly, Demario Davis or Demario Davis. I always get fussed at for for saying Demario. Demario. Um, he was the asked, Luigi. He was asked what it was like having Joe Woods on the coaching staff here in New Orleans. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I mean, his reputation precedes him as well. I think where he's really going to be able to help us go to another level um, is is what we do. On um, our third down and getting off the field, I think we we've been phenomenal in you know stopping the run and creating longer sit third and longer situations. Um, when we don't stop the run, that's what we can't really get into our third down stuff that we do so much. Um, and so one of the first conversations that we had was about the the way different ways that we can be more dynamic on third down and getting after the quarterback and, and kind of rushing the timing. Um, I think that's going to take us a long uh, a long way because when you're able to inflict fear in the quarterback, it changes the the entire entire game. Um, you know, you start with the head, the body gonna follow, and 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 quarterback is the head, and so that's that's what we have to be able to do. And it's hard in these games. I mean, the offenses are so explosive, and the quarterbacks are coming into the league are more talented and and and, and uh, more uh, uh, more football IQ. And so it makes it hard to, to inflict fear. And so we have to be more creative about what we do on defense. And he has that type of mentality. So I'm excited.
this man's talking about inflicting fear. Not pain, not suffering, fear. James, this defense is going to be really good. I expect to see more of what we saw at the back half of the year throughout pretty much for for 17 games for 17 games yeah and hopefully more hopefully more than just 17 yeah I mean that that's got to be the expectation I mean the way the defense played the last six or seven games of the year last year is really how it should play all season long and if that's the case and your offense does this much you're in great shape if you're New Orleans, look, I, I did a projection on Pro Football Focus that they've got this new mode where where you can project the entire season, and they had the Saints going 14 and three. Derek Carr <laughs> throwing for over 5,000 yards. Look, man, if that happens, let's go. I am all for it. Because I'm because looking past the Arizona game on Thursday night where you gave up 42 and. Yikes. He had back-to-back pick sixes, but he gave up zero. He gave up 13. He gave up 20. He gave up 20. He gave up 13. He gave up 17. He gave up 18, 10, 10, 10. That's winning football. That is winning football defensively. The only question was the offense needs to score more. Yeah. Like sure. that—that's that was the biggest and concern, I, and, and I think you've addressed that. You have addressed it. You've gotten plenty of acquisitions. Michael Thomas almost feels like an addition by itself because he barely played last year. Right. You're going to have a second year of Chris Olave. Hopefully, you see even more out of Rashid Shaheed. You got Derek Carr. You bring in Jamal Williams. You bring in Kendra Miller. You bring in other offensive linemen, and you'll have another year of Trevor Penning. And with that. It's going to take a little bit of time for everybody to kind of gel together. But you feel like at that week seven, eight, nine mark of the season, you feel like they should be able to turn a corner and be able to have a more explosive offense. So I just ran a, another simulation for, for the Saints. Mm-hmm. And once again, had them going 14-3. and three. What simulation are you using? PFF. Okay. They have, a, they have a new simulator where you can pick your team and you can simulate the season and it takes game by game. Mm-hmm. So it had the Saints starting 0-2, losing to both Tennessee and Carolina. Makes sense. And then ripping off six straight wins before losing to Chicago week 9 by 3, 27-24, and then ripping off eight wins to, win the, to end the season, 14-3. and three. Derek Carr... 5,091 yards, 38 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. Uh, Chris Olave, 1,100 yards, 9 touchdowns. Michael Thomas, 993 yards with 9 touchdowns. And then Alvin Kamara, a total of 1,767 yards with 9 touchdowns. Like 1,700 between the total, receiving and rushing? Yeah, total. Okay. If you put up those kinds of numbers... There might be a Super Bowl in your so, in your future. So Camaro wouldn't be suspended, uh, according to PFF. He's not going to be, which he hasn't yet. Maybe maybe they know something we don't. Which he hasn't. Uh, he hasn't thus far. So it's a fair assumption to make. Five nineteen. We'll take a timeout here. When we return, we'll talk about the NBA Finals. Plus, 
Monty Williams got paid how much? Right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We here at the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, know you love our shenanigans both on and off the air. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at the game, Louisiana. Click the bell so you can get notifications when we post our new content and game recaps. Go see more of our fun behind the scenes at the game, Louisiana. That's at the game, Louisiana on YouTube. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 523. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios, Monty Williams was fired by the Suns earlier in May, which was a boneheaded move by Phoenix, uh, but the move was made nonetheless. Matt Ishbo wanted to put his mark on his new franchise. So, Monty went through the interview process talked to a couple of different teams, was for a while the favorite to be the Milwaukee Bucks' new head coach. It was announced yesterday that Monty Williams is signing a six-year, $78.5 million deal to coach the Detroit Pistons. It is the largest coaching contract in NBA history. James, two-part question. Number one, why? Not knocking Monty Williams. I think he's a great coach. Does he deserve the largest coaching contract in NBA history? That's question number one. Question number two, why in the hell would you want to go to Detroit? Uh, Going to number two first. You kind of have some young talent. You feel like, well... I feel like I could make something out of it. And then it's also in the East. You don't feel like the East is as strong as the West. And then also going to number one, kind of off top, but then also going to number one, I don't think he's necessarily deserving of the biggest contract. But you also see this with players all the time where it's you're kind of resetting the market. And that's kind of what Monty's doing kind of resetting the market for coaches, whereas usually with players, you see it all the time with NBA players and even specific positions in the NFL where you see the quarterback market getting reset every year. You see the wide receiver and running back market and defensive linemen and corners market getting reset every single year and raising the bar. So he's he's not the best coach, so you feel like usually the best coach deserves the biggest contract. I don't think Monty's the best coach, necessarily. But it kind of makes sense when it comes to money-wise and the market for coaches and money. What's wild to me is you look at Monty Williams' numbers in Phoenix. He was 194 and 115. So 63% winning percentage. Not great, but not pretty solid. 
No, and he recently went to an NBA Finals. You went to the NBA Finals in 2021, won a franchise record 64 games in 2021, was named NBA Coach of the Year, puts them in the second round of the Western Conference playoffs this year after battling some major injury concerns with Chris Paul. Kevin Durant was nicked up at a point, and you just up and fired him. And it... And you kind of looked at it. It wasn't looking great in that 2019 season, but remember, they turned a corner in the bubble in the 2019-2020 season because you were like, wow, they had an incredible run, but they weren't able to make those playoffs. And after that, they talked about how they were basically going to go on a vengeance and go on a revenge tour and show like, hey, this is why us going undefeated in the bubble was not a fluke. And you had seen ever since then, they had become one of the better teams in the NBA. So now when you look at the Detroit Pistons, you have Jaden Ivey, you have Jalen Duran, you have Kate Cunningham, Bojan Bogdanovic, Isaiah Stewart, James Wiseman, Marvin Bagley. So there's young talent there. I'll agree with that. You also have the number five pick in this upcoming NBA draft. But if you're Monty Williams, you're looking at this situation in Detroit, and I don't agree that he he should have gone there, but when you think about it, Detroit hasn't had a winning season in seven, almost eight years. So if you're Monty Williams, the goal in Detroit year one is very simple. Win more than 40 games. If you bring them a winning season, they might erect a statue out of you in Detroit. Because this has become a franchise that is struggling. Detroit is a sports town that is struggling. Name a sports team in Detroit that has been good in the last five years. I'll wait. Detroit's on the, uh, the Lions are on the come up. They're, they're on the come up. I'll give you that. The Red Wings have been terrible. The Tigers have been terrible. The Pistons have been terrible. None of their colleges are are very good in anything either. They are craving any form of good sports. So bring them a winning season and they might build a statue out of Monty Williams. I'm being serious. It's been eight years since they've had a winning season. And you've got the talent to do it. Granted, it's young talent. But Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, and those guys have proven, especially last year in their rookie season, that they're good players and they can lead an NBA team. They need experienced guys, though, that have won before. Before they can really make any sort of a real turn around the corner. D'Angelo Russell? Lakers are looking to get rid of him. D'Angelo Russell? I know he's I know he hasn't won a championship, but he's he's been in some high level situations. I mean, God just finished playing in the Western Conference Finals. He's he's got experience. He's been around the block. I mean, I don't know who else you could get that's really won a championship or even been to an NBA Finals. I don't know. Maybe maybe Monty can pull a guy out of Phoenix. I don't know. But I, I agree. You're gonna have to get some kind of Experience, not just a vet, because you've got Bogdanovich and Marvin Bagley and guys like that. You need somebody that has been there. You need somebody that knows what it takes to get the job done. 
who knows? Maybe Chris Paul will go play one final season in Detroit. I don't know. It, it might be something to look into if you're Monty Williams. But I digress. Uh, largest contract in NBA history. We'll see if it pays off for Detroit. Uh, six years, $78.5 million headed to Monty Williams. We'll take a timeout, 5.30 when we return. Ben Upton joins us to talk college baseball. The NCAA regionals are here who does he pick to win the Coral Gables Regional? Is it the Cajuns? Is it the Longhorns? Find out next. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The best weekend of the college baseball season. Getting ready to get underway. Regionals start tomorrow. Let's break them all down with our guy, Ben Upton, the host of the 11.7 podcast. Ben, what's going on, my man? Appreciate you taking the time. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I really appreciate you for having me on the show. I'm excited to talk ball with you again. So let's start with, you know, just an overall landscape of the tournament. I mean, 64 teams get in, 32 of them were were automatic qualifiers, and then you had some close calls with at larges Louisiana being one of them uh, one of the last four teams in how do you like the layout of this 64 team tournament this year yeah I mean all in all the the tournament looks really good on paper like I think the committee did a good job evening the playing field and and giving us some good matchups to look forward to Um, I mean I came out on Twitter on on Monday after selection Monday and was frustrated with a couple teams getting in over a couple teams that I felt like were more deserving. Uh, now, Louisiana was not one of them. I had them in my regional projections pretty solidly. I thought they did enough in the regular season and in the Sunbelt tournament to, to get that that large bid. It was more of so like how did Arizona get in with a Pac-12 record of 12-18 and 18 and how did Oklahoma get in over Kansas State when they got swept by Kansas State? and had a worse conference record. Those were really my only two gripes. Um, Other than Auburn hosting over a team like Campbell or Southern Miss, I mean, those were that was just another little gripe that I had. But all in all, I think they did a good job with the format of the the tournament this year. There's a couple of regionals that stand out to me that don't involve – you know, local teams here, and one of them being the number one overall seed, Winston-Salem. You got Wake Forest, Maryland, Northeastern, and George Mason. Ben, these four teams, two things stand out. They all have solid offenses, but Wake Forest and Northeastern both have really good pitching staffs. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. Um, Northeastern has had, for the last five or six years like on the upper tier of college baseball pitching staffs they do a really good job developing those guys and recruiting them um, up there in the northeast and they're going to be really competitive in that regional and don't i mean wake forest is a team that deserved the number one spot by far they were the best team in the country all year but 
they get handed a Maryland team that won the uh, the Big Ten regular season and the Big Ten tournament pretty easily. And that's kind of, in my opinion, like a little unfair to Wake Forest that they get to face a conference champ, you know, that's going to travel really well. They have three potential All-Americans. That's a tough draw in your own regional. Another one that stands out is Stillwater for an offensive reason. You know, Oklahoma State, obviously a, a dynamic offensive program. Oral Roberts, a very strong four seed, having 44 wins on the season. DBU in Washington as well. Uh, there's going to be a lot of homers over in Stillwater this weekend. Yeah, you can bet on that because I don't know if you remember last year, yeah. um, but that Oklahoma State regional last year was like they were using lacrosse balls. The ball was flying an extra 50 feet than it seemed like every other baseball would. Um, and yeah, you're going to get a lot of home runs this weekend there as well. Um, you know, Washington and, and Dallas Baptist have pretty solid pitching staffs. And, you know, Oklahoma State, like they're a streaky team. When they're going good, like they, they have the same talent as those top-tier SEC teams and, and Wake Forest, Clemson. So they can hang with those guys. They just have been inconsistent this year at times. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's definitely one of those that I'm going to have probably on my second screen. I'll have that regional on all day and just glance over and just watch the runs pour in. Now, you brought up Campbell and Southern Miss being two teams that, that maybe should have hosted, and I don't disagree with you. Uh, but with that thought in mind, Southern Miss obviously playing in the Auburn Regional and then Campbell in Columbia. What chances do you give both of those teams of, of maybe surprising some people and winning that regional? Well, I mean, I think they each match up pretty well against the one seeds in their um, in those regionals. Like Campbell matches up pretty well with South Carolina just because Campbell is really athletic and they have some velocity on the mound. Um, even in their bullpen. So, like, Campbell is going to be one of those scrappy teams that, that we see that are able to score runs in, like, multiple different ways. Um, I really like Campbell. I don't know if – it really just depends on which NC State team shows up and which South Carolina team shows up uh, because both of them, like NC State and South Carolina, they're, they're really, really good clubs. And when they're on their A game, like, they're some of the best in the country. We just haven't really seen it much recently. Um, and then Southern Miss, on the other hand, you know, they go over to Auburn, and Auburn's had a really good second half of the year, and some of Auburn's younger guys have stepped up in big ways. And, and Auburn's a team that we've seen in the, in the College World Series two of the last three seasons. So they have the experience as well. Butch Thompson does an incredible job. Um, but I think if I had to pick between the two teams, uh, Campbell or Southern Miss, to get to a Super Regional, I would say Southern Miss just because they get they get Samford as a three seed there, um, and then Penn as the four seed. It's a little bit easier than having NC State sitting there looming as a three seed in, in the Columbia Regional. All right, Ben, let's dive deep into our two teams. We'll start with Baton Rouge, LSU, the five overall seed. They've got a perennial power in Oregon State coming in, a good offense in Sam Houston and then probably the story of the postseason, a 19-40 two-lane team won the American tournament, and now they're going to travel just an hour west to Baton Rouge. Look at Looking at this regional, you know, obviously LSU's had some pitching issues down the stretch, uh, but, you know, talk about LSU's road to 
not necessarily getting out of Baton Rouge, but getting out of this regional to host a Super. Right. Um, I, I was kind of doing a – I was looking at some gambling lines um, out there, and in, some of the sports books have odds of, like, who – like, which team will reach the College World Series, not to win it, but just reach the College World Series. And I kind of agree with the sports books that LSU has one of the easier paths to the College World Series just because they're paired up with um, that Kentucky regional with uh, Kentucky, West Virginia, Indiana – None of those teams really scare you, and, and you got to feel good about your chances if you get out of your regional. But, you know, I would not overlook this Tulane team as a four seed. They're playing really good baseball right now. I know the record is terrible, but at the end of the day, these guys, like Tulane recruits really, really good players, and these guys are finally playing with some confidence. So you can't overlook them. And then, you know, Oregon State coming from out west, that's a team that has won three College World Series since – 2006 so it's a very storied program like they have a big history in the postseason and i don't think they're going to be intimidated at all by the the lsu crowd at the box like these guys are pretty level-headed competitors and they're going to give some people trouble in that regional chatting with ben upton host of the 11.7 podcast you know you talked about lsu having an easy road to Omaha. You know, obviously Paul Skeens getting named the Collegiate Baseball National Player of the Year earlier today. With Tommy White returning from injury, obviously you're going to have Ty Floyd on the mound this weekend as well. Uh, Just kind of talk about some of the guys for LSU that you think need to step up for them to kind not really coast, but win the Baton Rouge Regional. Yeah, I mean, I've said it all year that I think Trey Morgan is kind of the catalyst of the offense. Super talented kid, um, can really hit, and he is kind of the, the the glue to the puzzle, right? Like you have Tommy White, you got Dylan Cruz, you got these guys in the lineup that are, are superstars, and you know they have incredible on base percentages, and they're just always feel like they're driving in runs and, and hitting homers. And, and Trey Morgan, when he's going good, you can look back at the numbers. When he's hot, LSU's offense is putting up double digits with ease. And, uh, you know, he's a big game performer, too. I think he's somebody that you can look at, um, you know, first three or four at-bats of the regional and be like, you can just tell by if he's three for four with a double and an RBI, the score is probably going to be LSU nine to nothing or nine to one. Um, he's, he's kind of like that, that quiet leader on the team. Now let's flip over to the Raging Cajuns. They're the three seed in Coral Gables, one of the last teams to enter the NCAA tournament. You've uh, again powerhouses in, in this regional. Miami's a storied program. Texas historically is the best college baseball program in the country. And then you have a main program that's been to Omaha seven times in their history. Uh what what's your outlook on this regional? Yeah. Um this one's tricky for me because this one's a kind of a mesh of three teams that have played really good baseball at spurts during the season. And then, you know, there's been a few times where you, you lose, uh, you lay an egg, you, you have bad weekends, you lose to teams you're not supposed to. And, and then Maine, I think is a sneaky good four seed. Uh, I watched them play a couple of times. They were playing on ESPN plus at noon on a Friday, only game on. So I was watching them in Binghamton, play like on a Friday doubleheader um, and like they have some pretty big physical guys that are 
um, you know, somebody that I, I don't think Maine will win a game in this regional, but they might keep it close and have teams use some of their best bullpen arms against them, which can can play a big factor in the long run. But to me, it comes down to like, is Miami going to show up focused and ready to play like they did in the ACC tournament? Uh, Yo-Yo Morales is one of the most exciting college players in the country, third baseman for Miami, and he's red hot at the plate right now. So, um, you know, that's a team that can be really scary, like definitely a College World Series winning type of team. But we just haven't seen recently Miami come out of their own regional and win it. Uh, Ole Miss won it there last year. And so I'm not sold on the Hurricanes. I, I, I like them, but they kind of have to just prove it to me on the field again. And then Texas, of course, you know, they go out and sweep West Virginia the last uh, regular season weekend to, to tie, to have a three-way tie in the Big 12 uh, regular season championship. And then they go 0-2 in the Big 12 tournament, and you're like, wow, those are two completely different teams on the field. So um, that one was more of a toss-up for me, but in my official bracket, I did pick the Raging Cajuns to win just because I like their team chemistry I like how they play the game, and they're not going to back down from anybody. It doesn't matter what name is written across the chest of their opponents. Like They're going to play their style of baseball, and that's all credit to Matt Deggs. Ben, as we start to wrap up, you talked about the Raging Cajuns. They'll battle with Texas at 1 o'clock tomorrow. Uh, what are some keys to victory for the Cajuns in order for them to, to really shake out the Longhorns? Yeah, you got to throw strikes against the Longhorns. Um, they're a very patient bunch at the plate, and um, they use kind of that big hit um, to their advantage. Like, they'll hit a bases-clearing double, get all the momentum, and, you know, it comes back to just throwing strikes. So if, if the Raging Cajuns can throw strikes on the mounds and, and not make any kind of, like, defensive or base-running errors to give Texas any kind of momentum, you know, they're going to be right in it um, the whole game. Like, it's going to be a close game, back and forth possibly. So um, I would just limit it to like the simple things in baseball. Throw strikes, no boneheaded defensive plays, and no base running errors. Um, just try to keep momentum on your side the whole game, and, and you should be fine. And then for LSU playing a, a really pa- impassioned two-lane team, uh, what, what do the Tigers have to do to, to get a win on opening day of the regional? Yeah, jump on them early. You, you got to just jump on them, show them that you're the better team, that you're the most talented team, because this Tulane team has shown signs this year of folding, um, you know, getting down early. And, you know, if you do that, they might start playing for game two and then elimination. They might start saving some pitching. Um, but if you give Tulane an early lead, like those guys are they're, they're just energized enough and they're just confident enough right now or they'll look at the LSU dugout and say, hey, we can beat these guys. So just jump on them early if you're LSU. Ben Upton of the 11.7 podcast joining us here on Crunch Time. Ben, appreciate your time as always, and uh, enjoy the week, the, re- the regionals this weekend, my friend. I, I will certainly do that, and I appreciate you for having me on your show. You have a good one as well. And there he goes, Ben Upton, host of the 11.7 podcast. Got a little tongue-tied right there. Uh, we'll take a time out. We'll wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're running a little low on cash, not to worry. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. As a member of our rewards club, you will have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse. Once again, at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Go sign up today. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. As we wrap up today's show, James, game one of the NBA Finals tonight. Nuggets, Heat, who you got? Give me the Nuggets. Hmm. I'm not totally confident in the nine-point spread, but I'll definitely take Denver's money line. I'm going to go Miami because this guy's been talking about how oh the Heat may win one or two games. This and this will be one of them. And I'm gonna tell you why. Miami just played three nights ago. Mm-hmm. Denver hasn't played in ten games or in ten days. Yeah, nearly two weeks. Now, granted, Denver's going to be rested, but at the same time, they're also going to be rusty. I think it's going to take them a game to get that rust off. I think they lose tonight. Which is fair. I do know that when I think teams that have had like 10 plus days off before an NBA final, they end up going like overall they've they're 8 and 1. So the the odds are kind of stacked against the Heat, but I mean, haven't the odds been stacked against the Heat the whole All playoffs? Long? <laughs> yeah. Um I mean they weren't supposed to win the play yet. And then they weren't supposed to beat Milwaukee. And, and then they, they weren't supposed to beat the Knicks. And then they weren't supposed to beat the Celtics. And now they're here. Interesting nugget of information. I see what you did there. Uh, a West team has not won an NBA Finals that is outside of Texas and California since 1979. Because it's been the Rockets, the Mavs that one time the in 2011, Spurs. the Spurs all those years, the Warriors, the, the Lakers. Lakers. Is it time that history changes a little bit? Uh, we're going to see history one way or another. Look, I, I still think Denver's just going to be too much mm-hmm. for, for Miami. Uh, I mean, if Nikola Jokic is down, which is rare, uh, Jamal Murray will just be there. Aaron Gordon will be there. It's just going to be too much for Miami to handle in the end. Right, and I like the skill, and I like that they play with a lot of heart, but the length and the size of the Nuggets players, whether it's Nikola Jokic or right. Aaron Gordon or Michael Porter Jr. Like, it, right. it just feels like it, it's going to be too much and you're not going to be able to play the same defense that you usually would. I want to take this opportunity to thank our guest today, Leah Van and Ben Upton, for joining us. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them, and we'll be back on Monday, 4-6, to six, right here on The Game. The Astros coming up in about 40 minutes. Have a great weekend, everybody. Once again, back on Monday, 4 to 6, right here on The Game.